I did that work in India and it really turned a light bulb on for me in terms of realizing this was the kind of work that I wanted to do. I wanted to use fashion for good. I wanted to make social impact. And I flew back from India to Michigan on Christmas day of 2016. And I found out about the Flint water crisis. Welcome to Fashion Cast the fashion industry's premier podcast where we explore all things fashion from designers and the latest styles to sustainability and breaking fashion news. We keep you informed. Now enjoy the show with your hosts, Michael Gloucester and me, Christine Tuck Tuck. On today's episode, we have Allie Rose Van Overbeek, founder and CEO at Genuc the first circular economy eyewear brand. GenUC was launched during the Flint, Michigan water contamination crisis. GenUC designs and manufactures sustainable eyewear from single-use plastic water bottles and creates jobs for the structurally unemployable in Flint, Michigan. Ellie graduated from the prestigious Parsons School of Design in New York City. Before founding GenUC, she had worked as a designer and stylist with brands such as Lane Bryant, Joe Fresh, and Nordstrom, as well as collaborating on projects with the United Nations Sustainability Summit, Condé Nast, and Ford Motor Company. Thank you for being on our show today, Ali. Thanks for having me. So tell us how you began your journey into the world of fashion. I am really lucky because I actually have lived my childhood dream. And I feel like it's a privilege to say that because not a lot of people get to do that. But I've known I wanted to work in fashion since I was in second grade. I remember the first fashion show I ever saw was on TV. There used to be that channel called the Style Network. uh, And it was a Betsy Johnson fashion show on TV And as a young kid, I was like, this is crazy. This is an actual job. This is so fun. And then they were showing Cynthia Rowley actually like sketching clothes. And I had always been really creative and into art. So I obsessively began sketching clothes in like second and third grade and used to get in trouble all the time in school because I wasn't doing my work and I was drawing clothes. I started this little like fashion club and used to make all the girls draw clothes as well and then would grade their artwork. So I (laughs) was obsessed with fashion for a really long time. And by fourth grade, I knew I actually wanted to go to Parsons for college, which is where I I ended up going. And I've been sewing since I was a kid. It's just always been a part of my life. And I think I'm really influenced. My mom is a hairdresser and a small business owner and has owned a hair salon for over 20 years. And growing up around the beauty and the fashion industry, I think just really influenced me and taught me that fashion is a way that I can express myself creatively and and form my own identity. Beautiful story. So what made you want to go to Parsons? Like I said, I've known I've wanted to go to Parsons since I was in fourth grade. Uh, I remember looking up online like fashion schools. I was probably like AOL search or something at the time. It was pre-Google. 
And Parsons was one of the first things that popped up. And I think it used to be called like Otis Parsons. There was a school in California called Otis and Parsons is on the East Coast in New York. And they they used to have a relationship. So I knew I wanted to go there. And then when I was in high school, I went to a panel, a talk with Anna Sui and Tracy Reese, which are obviously fashion royalty and and women who are both from Detroit and have gone on to be really successful designers. But they both went to Parsons, which then just really reaffirmed my belief that Parsons was the best. And if these badass women from Detroit went there, then that's where I needed to go as well. I had applied for FIT and Pratt and actually got scholarships to both. But when I got the acceptance letters, to Parsons, it was the only school that I really like cried about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just a you know lifelong dream finally coming true, and it was the, actually the only school that I didn't receive scholarship money from. So yeah, isn't that um, how it always goes? Yeah. How it always works. <laughs> That's great. We followed Tracy Ruse too, and she's yeah quite the sustainability queen too, which is nice to know too. Yeah, she's a real motivational force here in Detroit for sure. I like the fact that she came back to Detroit from New York after having a, a great career there. So that's very interesting. Yeah, um, I actually have built a really good personal relationship with Tracy. I just adore and respect her so much. She's such a kind woman. I actually, the first time I met her, we were both in New York at a CFDA round table around sustainability and she was sitting across from me and I knew who she was and was so excited to finally meet her and introduce myself. And we obviously connected around both being Detroit girls. And at the time she was actually also starting to do some work in Flint here at the New Life Center with an artist called Mel Chin. They did a project called the Flint Fit Project and did some really beautiful garments made from the recycled water bottles. They were more art pieces and they were they did a exhibit at the Queens Museum in New York. So, That's amazing. I didn't know she was yeah. involved in yeah. And some yeah projects in Flint too. Really bonded her on that. And then I've just gotten to know her more the last couple of years through the Detroit fashion scene and at different events. And she obviously has come back to Detroit and has really pivoted her business around sustainability and local manufacturing. But she's amazing and I completely adore her and she's always really generous with her time. Go back to Parsons for one minute. So you graduated from Parsons School of Design with fashion and apparel concentration, but, and we'll get to Gen UC in a minute, you end up in eyewear, essentially, and fashionable eyewear, but wasn't your background primarily apparel? Yeah, so I have a BFA in fashion design and my concentration at Parsons was in women's wear. But at the end of the day, I'm an artist and I'm a designer. And I don't really believe, especially in this day and age, that we need to pigeonhole ourselves into any one category. I definitely would consider myself more of a multi-hyphenate in terms of I'm a designer, but I'm also a stylist, but I'm also an entrepreneur and I'm also a businesswoman. And I also do a lot in marketing. So I'm not interested in putting myself in a box. And I think moving into eyewear from apparel is just a real natural evolution. 
I've worked in so many different areas in the fashion industry. Like my first internship was with Christian Siriano. Um, and at the time he had such a tiny team and it really just allowed me to be hands-on and to learn not just how to be creative and to be a designer, but how to run a small team and a small business. And then I also worked as a styling assistant my last few years while I was still in school at Parsons. I worked with the stylist Sabina Schreeder and Natasha Devereaux. And I would skip classes to go work on set <laughs> shoots with huge magazine campaigns with Elle and Glamour. We did some large global campaigns with Revlon, with Olivia Wilde and Sally Hansen. I assisted for Scarlett Johansson was on the cover of Glamour. I really had my hand in a lot of different areas. And I think just finding what I was most drawn to and what inspired me most as a creative. Uh, and it just really taught me how to hustle and to have a really disciplined work ethic. Because I think at the end of the day in fashion or any other creative discipline, you have to have a really strong work ethic. And it's, the fashion industry is tough and it'll chew you up and spit you out. So you really have to love it. And I think there has to be other motivations for you working in fashion other than the superficial stuff because the behind the scenes is cutthroat and it's long hours and it's blood, sweat and tears. And at the end of the day, we're magicians because it's not pretty behind the scenes, but we make like a beautiful end product. <laughs> It sounds like all these multiple positions, and I want to make sure that the listeners understand, you didn't graduate from Parsons and go start Genucy. You worked your ass off in fashion in New York with a lot of different people in a lot of different positions, which it seems at the end of the day, one way or another helped you once you came up with this idea to launch and then manage, operate actually an eyewear design and manufacturing company. Absolutely. I, I've worked in a lot of different roles and, and really sweated it out. Like right when I graduated, I thought I was going to go work for, you know, a Calvin Klein or Perenza Schuller and a really cool creative fashion brand. But when I realized you don't get paid a livable wage, basically, I was like, okay, I need to look for jobs more in like the corporate space because I want a salary and I I don't want to be working 24 hours a day and I want to have health benefits. So actually my first job after I graduated was I was a concept designer at Joe Fresh for their children's wear category. And then I worked at Lane Bryant. I was a designer for the emerging businesses and designer collaborations. And I worked under an amazing well-known designer, Tess Giberson, who is my boss. And she's probably one of the most empowering and collaborative women in the industry and really taught me the kind of boss and leader I wanted to be. But that job specifically was really interesting because we were basically brought on to make the Lane Bryant brand a bit more attractive to millennials and to just make it cooler. So working with with Tess, we launched a brand within Lane Bryant called Sixth and Lane. And it was a collection that was targeted at a younger customer. But that was like working for a startup within a billion dollar fashion brand where I really got to have my hands on every part of the business. And it was all of the fun and none of the, the stress of actually owning the business yourself. Yeah, it's a different role. So 
Christine, did you want to talk about that yeah. or ask some questions? Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about Genucy. How did you come up with the idea and when did you launch the company? Like I mentioned, I was working in corporate fast fashion in New York and those jobs really opened my eyes to how unsustainable the fashion industry is, both environmentally as well as socially. And then just seeing how that old traditional business model is completely unsustainable. We're knowingly overproducing thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of units that we know are just going to end up in landfill at the end of the year. And that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I kind of got fed up with fashion. So I took some time off and I went to India and did what most young millennial women do. (laughs) Okay. You love praising. And I was volunteering with an NGO there in Hyderabad um, called My Choices Foundation, which works with retraining women with sewing skills who were in domestic abusive relationships. So they have a form of financial independence. And that- Wow. Well, God bless you. That's unbelievable. That was- I can't believe you just yeah walked away from the fashion world too. I did. So yeah. Go, yeah, yeah. At can- that point, I had not fully <laughs> cut my ties. I did that work in India and it really turned a light bulb on for me in terms of realizing this was the kind of work that I wanted to do. I wanted to use fashion for good. I wanted to make social impact. And I flew back from India to Michigan on Christmas day of 2016. And I found out about the Flint water crisis and immediately I was going to be in Michigan with family for two weeks. And I don't really know how to just sit around with idle hands. And I was just coming off of this amazing trip volunteering in India. So I actually decided I was going to volunteer in Flint with the American Red Cross. And I was one of, you know, hundreds and thousands of volunteers delivering cases of bottled water and filters door to door. And I was really shocked, especially after just being in India, seeing the level of injustice and poverty and the crisis, man-made crisis that was happening in my own backyard and realized I didn't need to move to the other side of the world to make impact, that there was a community right here in Michigan that I feel like I could use my background in fashion and my experience to be a part of a a solution. And I don't know how to solve a water crisis, but I know how to make things. That's my skill set. So I kind of just started there and I knew I'm a very spiritual person and I just felt a true call to do something in Flint. And I didn't really know what that was or what that was going to look like, but I went back to New York and I went back to working my corporate job, but I couldn't stop thinking about Flint for well over a year. And finally, uh, it was like New Year's of 2017, I put pen to paper and I wrote a business plan on a post-it note. And basically just our four main goals, which were to reduce plastic waste, create living wage jobs, give back to Flint and encourage a circular economy. And I think there's power in writing your goals down and putting pen to paper, like it holds you accountable. And then from there, I told a friend, I had this idea to do something in Flint with the water bottles. 
And she, I would see her every Sunday and she would ask me what I had done that week to get me closer to that goal. Wow. That's amazing. You know, this is why we've wanted you on the show for so long, because the story here is really, really deep and it's, it's more than just fashion. It's very mission driven. And I think it can motivate a lot of people who are in the same place that, you know, Allie Rose Van Overbeek was at one point frustrated in fast fashion and really just had to take a break. And it seems like you know, went down the correct road, but it changed the whole trajectory of your career, maybe even your life. So that's why one of the reasons we're very, very interested in this story, because it's more than just a fashion story. It's really a social mission story, too. What is the mission of Gen UC? Because there's so many different parts to this, and they're all great. I mean, this is way beyond like Tom's, you know, buy a shoe, give one away. This this is much deeper than that. Is there one particular mission that you're focused on, or is this multiple missions and we can we can juggle them all? Well, I think the mission is multifaceted. And for starters, Genesee was founded on the principles of doing good for people and planet. And the main goals of our business are to reduce plastic waste, create living wage jobs specifically for the structurally unemployable and individuals in Flint who are coming out of incarceration, uh, to encourage a circular economy, and to give back to Flint through charity and nonprofit partnerships. So are all the jobs that you're offering, are they from folks that are, you know, exiting prison or there there's different types of folks r- related working f- at Genesee. There are different types of folks working at Genesee. We have a reentry program where we partner with a local organization called the Maid Institute which works with individuals coming out of incarceration and when we're looking to hire we reach out to Maid and ask them to send us some referrals, but we're actively looking to hire individuals who are coming out of incarceration. Like that is the population we're focused on hiring and being able to create job opportunities and pathways to re-entry and pathways to a career and a future. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's amazing. We've run into some other, you know, manufacturing fashion manufacturing companies that were hiring like only veterans. And that was a very mission driven too. Are you guys going to be submitting an application for a B corporation? Because it seems to me you would qualify. Have you looked into that? So legally, we already are a B Corp, which is the first step in getting certified B Corp status. There's a difference between Being a public benefit corporation, which is what we are, we're still taxed as a a C-Corp, but we've written into the legal DNA of our company, social and environmental impact. Uh, To get certified B-Corp status, which is probably what you're talking about, it's the label you see in the the constellation of brands when you go to, you know, bcorp.com. That is kind of like getting a certified organic third-party designation. So we, before we launched, we did a B Corp assessment and did not have enough data points at that point to get pre-launch. We're waiting probably another year to reapply for that because when we apply, we want to make sure we have enough data points to get that status because I am pretty confident we already qualify for that. Um, But the assessment's 
pretty intense um, and very thorough um, as it should be. But as an early business, you don't have all the data points yet. So if you're answering zero, like you're not scoring as well, just because you don't have that data. So Ali, let's go back to the beginning. What were some of the challenges you experienced in regard to launching GenUC? I mean, it's all a challenge. I'm sure. It was the city of Flint supportive? Yeah, we built community here before we even launched. That's one of the ways we kind of decided we were going to start a business. After I was volunteering with the Red Cross, we really just started asking the community, what does Flint actually need? Because it was important for me as an outsider to not just come in and impose my ideas of what Flint needed in response to a water crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, Never had any intentions. I mean, we're not trying to solve the water crisis. That's not what we're doing. Our company was started in response to the surplus of plastic that was a result of the water crisis. And getting to know the community more here and just seeing the injustice and the inequality and the lack of access to skilled and unskilled and sustainable jobs was a huge factor in why we decided we needed to launch a business to create job opportunities. And we talked about the mission earlier, but the larger mission is to bring a new manufacturing legacy to the city of Flint. So can you talk just a a tad about the plastic recycling, this whole plastic recycling industry? And and most people that you're talking to will understand recycle versus upcycle, but you may want to explain that a little bit. But what I'm curious about in particular is what percentage of, you know, the, the plastic bottles are actually recycled or upcycled or used, and maybe not just in Flint, but Overall, because I don't think that number is as big as most people think it is. Let me give you the story because there's such misunderstanding about recycling. Typically, what most people are doing right now is wish cycling. You think you're putting your recycling in a recycling bin and you're not taking any responsibility or, or to consideration that the recycling industry actually has the capacity to recycle what you're putting in there. So how recycling works, it's a for-profit industry for starters, which I think is really important for people to realize just because you're doing good doesn't mean people aren't profiting off of this. So it's affected by the same mechanisms and supply and demand. A recycler and what a recycler does is they pick up the recycled material, they take it to a facility and they clean and they separate it and they barrel it. And they send those barrels then to a processor and the processor purchases those barrels from the recycler. So there's an exchange going on here. And then a processor takes those barrels of that recycled material, they reprocess it, they either repelletize it into little pellets or they put it into flakes, which then can be used to be injection molded into other kinds of goods. And the processor is selling that material on the open market. So there's an exchange happening there and they're making money. But what's happening is because it's cheaper for companies to use virgin plastic. Most companies use virgin plastic. So the processor is sitting on so much recycled material that they can't sell that in turn, they're not purchasing from the recycler. 
anymore because they're not able to sell that material. So the recycler then can't make any money off of selling that to a processor. So the recycler is just not recycling. So yeah, you look out your window and you see someone throwing it in the truck and you think, oh, I've did my part this week, no, and but it's not going anywhere. Specifically in Michigan, I will speak specifically to the research and the cold calls and the investigating I've done in Michigan. The majority in Michigan right now is ending up in landfill or incinerated. Yes, thank you. Unfortunately, that's my research too. So where are you sourcing from? Are you actually going to the processors and saying, you know, I need... Yeah, we purchase directly from a local processor here in Michigan where they're processing bottles that were collected in Flint and other parts of Michigan. And then we uh, purchase those pellets, we injection mold them into the parts that make our frames, which is also all done locally. Uh, And then those parts are post-processed, they're hand-finished, there's a ton of sanding and buffing and tumbling that goes into refining those frame parts before they're assembled with riveted hinges. Um, There's final hand finishing that goes in quality check that goes into finishing our frames. And then the lenses also are cut edged and installed here locally in Flint. Yeah. And Christine, you remember some of these conversations with some of the other guests who mentioned if somebody doesn't recycle that bottle, somebody else will, or if somebody uses it for whatever decking or something, somebody will always use the plastic that you recycle. And that's not the case. That's just not the case. Mm-hmm. And and you're being kind, Ali, and saying, well, it will end up in a landfill because in other countries like Indonesia, it ends up in someone's backyard. You know, there's all kinds of poverty and it just ends up in the middle of the city somewhere. I mean, at the end of the day, it also then all ends up in our waterways, <laughs> which that's a whole other issue then in terms of the microplastics that are then affecting the quality of our water and we're ingesting those things and that negatively impacts our personal health. So Ali, how many eyewear product lines do you offer? And beyond eyewear, are there other fashion categories you may expand to? So we currently offer one frame style called the Roper. It's the frame that we launched with, and it was democratically designed to look good on just about everyone and look good as optical as well as sunglasses. And when we launched, we only had two frame colors. To date, we have six frame colors, and we'll be launching some more colors going into the summer. And we're also working on launching our second style soon, not releasing a hard date on that yet, but we're actively developing the second frame style, as well as expanding our eyewear collection. And we are definitely exploring other product categories, both in fashion and non-fashion product categories. But the material we use is so unique that it really can lend itself to a variety of products. And always looking back to our main goals of reducing plastic waste and creating jobs. How do we, one, use more plastic and to create products that can create even more jobs? So we are definitely looking to expand. A lot of it comes down to funding and fundraising and needing capital to invest into R&D. So that's kind of where we're at right now. With regard to to the glasses or the eyewear, so you have the sunglasses. And then you have readers, 
And then do you have like optics too, like just like regular glasses? So we have one frame style. We offer that as sunglasses, prescription optical, blue light filter glasses, and readers. But it's one frame style. There's just, we offer different lenses. Okay. And if you went into non-fashion items, let's just say that, for example, I'm creating an all-natural skincare product and I want my containers to be recyclable. Is that something eventually I could come to you and say, hey, can you help us design this and manufacture it right here? I want it to be from here because you guys are doing an incredible job with the glasses. Can you just map over what you're doing and make my containers? Is that possible? It's possible. Um, It's something we're exploring. But as I said, a lot of it comes down to R&D to be able to expand our manufacturing capacity. So right now, GenuC is sold what? I know there's all these trade secrets and numbers and you don't have to say all of that, but obviously it's primarily sold online, is it not? We're a direct-to-consumer brand. So our primary channel that we sell on is our website. And we also have some strategic retail partnerships um, and wholesale accounts, stores like Alex Mill and Empatmos in New York. But our main focus is being able to offer the best quality for the best price to our customers directly online. So Shinola too, are they not one of the stockists? Shinola is not a stockist. We have done pop-ups with Shinola. We did a pop-up in 2018 during Christmas time with them. And then we did a month-long pop-up with them last summer. So if you can, I'm I'm just looking at this because we, you know, we talk to a lot of different people in the fashion industry. And so then when we get into conversations like this, your mind's kind of racing at a million miles an hour because we're always trying to collaborate with different people. And then we end up introducing people. I mean, I can, I can just see, I mean, it's so obvious that, you know, sunwear goes with bathing suits, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, we know bathing suit design. So would you ever collaborate with another, in your case, I don't want to just say designer, but like another company or have you already? We are actively working on collaborations with other companies, both in the eyewear space and other fashion brands as well. Okay. And the other question along that same line is with regard to, I mean, we've talked to a number of like high level fashion photographers lately and when you look at it doesn't matter what fashion magazine you're looking at so they'll they'll lay out the fashion as you know and then they'll list and they'll itemize all of these different articles that the person is wearing so is there some room there too to expose genuine to say hey we'd like to be part of you know these fashion layouts i'll be really transparent i think magazines and editorials in that form of media is really outdated. I mean, even print in general, it's very validating. We've had a lot of great press in print. We've been in Glamour magazine. We've been in Elle in print. We've been in Good Housekeeping in print. And it's really validating and nostalgic to be in print, but that's not converting to sales and often not even converting into brand awareness with a customer because no one's really engaging that way. Like the main platform that we get leads from and customers and build community through is 
Instagram. Influencers. So I also have a lot of strong feelings about this term influencers. (laughs) Um, Everyone's an influencer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Every one of our customers is an influencer. That's great. Have a network of people that are hopefully paying attention and care about Mm -hmm. what we have to say. And word of mouth is always the best. Word of mouth is the best. Yeah. I'm sure Instagram helps and that's the the best way to market your products. Even though it's nice that you were in in Vogue, it was May 2018. That's when you were in Vogue. That was digital too. Like there's a difference between like being in Vogue in print versus online article that you'll see the digital stuff like convert to at least traffic to your website because that's typically how people are consuming media these days. Yeah, it's true. So are you saying that if Anna Winter is wearing Genu C sunglasses, that's not going to be helpful? Maybe it wouldn't. <laughs> is she, maybe, Unless she posted on Instagram, Michael. Yeah. Well, maybe she's not your demographic, you know, I don't know. Of course, I would absolutely love Anna Wintour to be wearing Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> or Stella McCartney. You know, Stella McCartney would be great, but that doesn't necessarily translate to anything for us. Like it's it's validating and it's a nice like pat on the back, but I think there's there's other individuals and everyday people that could be wearing our glasses that would be more impactful and actually translating our story to their community and to the people that they interact with. It doesn't have to be a celebrity. It doesn't have to be an influencer with, you know, hundred thousand followers. It can just be an everyday person. Mm-hmm. It can just be Christine and Mike who Somebody both have genuine glad, you know, sunglasses, which mm-hmm. we love. And, and we talk about them quite often, actually. Oh, you're influencers. I know you are, Christine. You look much better in yours than I do in mine. So <laughs> they're pretty. Um, uni- they're unisex. They look good on everybody. I like. I love your glasses. You did a great job with the design. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very comfortable, and I got a lot of compliments. So thank you. But I understand what you're saying. You're not running up the numbers. It doesn't matter if the Kardashians are wearing them. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't. You know, matters if the Kardashians are wearing your glasses. The Kardashians. Uh, oh. <laughs> While we're on the topic, can you please tell our audience where they can find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow us on Instagram at Genesee underscore official. And Genesee is spelled G-E-N-U-S-E-E, Gen-U-C. Great. What's next for your company? So we are actively, like I mentioned, working towards launching our second frame style. And really just trying to double down on growing and scaling our current operation so we can hire more individuals here in Flint and make more impact and get our glasses in the hands of more people. We're also actively working on and exploring a couple collaborations. So are you the designer for the eyewear then too? How many hats is Ellie uh, Rose Van Overbeek wearing? I mean, I obviously have my hand in every part of our business at the current stage, but we work with amazing team of collaborators with design, digital design, social marketing. You know, it's not just me. I I obviously direct the design, but we work with great 2D and CAD designers because it's it's a product and we do injection molding. So it, we were also work with an industrial designer to make sure that our design is going to translate into tooling. So is this something that you're just going to continue 
building because you were talking about raising capital if you had to expand the line and all of that that can get complicated in terms of fundraising and how you go about that but is this something that you're just you're saying look for now i'm just building this company or is there a point in the future that you would say okay i'm going to sell my company i can't really have that conversation sorry <laughs> <laughs> well look at all the people who haven't sold you know you're looking at armani who's never sold this company in fact, he, he never even took it public. You know? But you're also then talking you- about like, those are different kinds of brands. Like we're a fashion product company and an eyewear company, but we're also more like Armani didn't start as, you know, a startup venture backed startup. I think it really just depends on the end goal that you have. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about Armani and things like that, like those are legacy brands. They started in a really different, day and age like they're struggling to translate to you know digital and and get new customers so i think it's like comparing apples to oranges we are you know a digital brand and i think with that comes different challenges and different opportunities well who's ever doing and i assume you have a hand in the instagram piece you know the advertising piece it doesn't even look like advertising. It just looks like you're my friend on Instagram. It's like, hey, it's Genuacy. We're here to, you know, it's so it's really innovative. I love the way you're going about it. It's very professional. And the photography is really good too. I really like that. What words of wisdom do you have for, you know, emerging designers, other folks, like we mentioned earlier that maybe sitting around thinking, you know, I'm going to take a left turn out of fashion now because you know, I want to do something else too. It just seems like you really found your roots. And I just love that whole part of the story. But are there any words of wisdom you, you would have for emerging designers in particular? So I think we're in a day and age where you can reinvent the wheel and there's not one particular path that you need to follow. I think first and foremost, you need to know your personal values. You need to know your why and really what motivates you and drives you and gets you up and out of bed at the end of the day, whether that's making impact, whether that's making money, whether that's just being creative for the sake of being creative, you need to know your why you need to know what motivates you But in fashion specifically, like I've not necessarily followed a traditional linear career in fashion. My skill set is in fashion, but I have decided to apply that to starting a business, specifically a social enterprise. And there's a million different things that you can do in fashion now. And I think just charting your own course is really important and just trying a lot of different things seeing what you like seeing what you don't like especially if you're young like just say yes and try it all and at the end of the day i think it's just really important to create the life that you want to live if you're not happy in your job or if it's not aligned with your values then it's okay to take a risk and step outside your comfort zone, try something new, start something new, completely branch and do a different industry even, and be collaborative. Like for me, it was a huge risk leaving my comfortable corporate job in fashion. But I just told myself it's now or never, and I can always go back to working a job that I hate. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, that's beautiful that's advice, true. you know. Yeah. Allie, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for appearing on Fashion Cast. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was great chatting. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us on our website at fashioncastpodcast.com. I'm Christine. And I'm Michael. Stay beautiful.